off a brand new series uh, in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John called Follow Me. Do you guys remember uh, 15 years ago when uh, we had uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks? What happened a few days after that? All across the country, you saw a wave of people uh, flood into churches uh, because people were feeling insecure. They were physically attacked. We were as a nation, and so people flooded the churches. We saw, um, I saw Tim Keller, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. He was saying one time a few years ago that that weekend, they went from a church of 3,000 to 6,000 in one weekend, and that most of those people uh, continued to come, and the church grew, literally doubled overnight. Because that's what happens. When you get physically attacked, you look for hope to cling to, right? You look for truth. You get back to the basics in life. Now, that's a little bit of what we're going to see in 1 John. As we dig in tonight, uh, 1 John was written to a group of Christians who were struggling because there were false teachers who came and they spiritually attacked them. They attacked them uh, in what they believed. They said, you guys aren't true believers. And John, being a pastor at heart, being an apostle, says, no. I'm going to make it very clear the message we proclaim from the beginning, the hope that we have in Jesus, and you can have assurance uh, in your faith. So on one hand, as we walk through 1 John, it is a very simple, clear-cut book. It is uh, refreshing in the clarity that it gives. If you just want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a Christian, like it, it's just black and white. On the flip side... <laughs> It's scary because with clarity comes responsibility, that you've got to now do something about it, uh, that you have to make a decision to follow him wholeheartedly. So before we jump in uh, to the few chapters, or excuse me, the few verses, uh, verses one through four that we'll cover tonight, uh, I want to talk about some context. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back uh, there behind the counter. Feel free to grab one, and that's yours to keep uh, if you need a Bible. Uh, but we're going to be walking through the background, because when you read Scripture, it can speak to you whether you have a clue as to what was going on behind the scenes, right? We know God's Word is God's Word. But when you find out what was happening that this book wasn't just written in a vacuum. There was uh, specific things happening in a specific time, and a specific people received this letter, and they needed it for their immediate needs. It'll change the way uh, that you understand the details of this book. So we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, covering some of those details tonight. So if you're a note taker, some of these things might be very helpful for you. If you have a study Bible, some of these things will be in the front of your Bible. First one is the author. Now, you would think, um, because the book is entitled First John, that it's obviously John. But keep in mind, we are the ones uh, who put titles on these books. They didn't always uh, come in a packet that said, this is the Gospel of John. This is the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And so we know um, that this was more than likely the Apostle John. There's a whole bunch of Johns in the New Testament. Uh, John the Baptist, he didn't write any books of the Bible. Uh, there's John uh, Mark, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there is um, uh, John the Elder that we'll see in 2nd 
and third John, and some believe that maybe this was a separate guy, but it's more than likely uh, John, the uh, son of Zebedee, and he was one of the 12 disciples. His brother was James. And overall, he authored, um, from what we understand, both in church tradition and uh, through details in these books, five New Testament books. You guys know which books those might be? So let's just say three of them, first, second, and third John. And then what might be another one? Gospel of John. Anyone know what the fifth book would be? Revelation. Revelation. So um, most of his books were all written at the end of the first century A.D., and they were uh, essentially the last books of the New Testament written. So he was one uh, of the 12. He's the only one that we know of, of the 12, that wasn't martyred. If you remember at the end of his gospel, um, Jesus speaks about this one who um, might not die like the other ones. And um, Peter threw a little bit of a fit about it, but we're uh, understanding that this John he was um, in Ephesus ministering most of his life. Uh, so the, the letter to the Ephesians was written by Paul, but John was probably there uh, with the church at that time and eventually exiled to the island, island of Patmos. Um, and so he probably wrote this book while he was in uh, Ephes- uh, Ephesus and um, lived a good long life. But more than anything, when it comes to the author, I think what's most important is that this was essentially Jesus' best friend. So it's one thing to hear Luke's gospel, where you've got a doctor-slash-historian who goes and does a ton of research for uh, eyewitnesses. You've got uh, Mark writing his gospel, and in that you've got this young dude who was probably a little kid when the Lord's Supper is going on, and he's sitting in the background, and, um, and his mom is hosting the thing. And you've got Matthew, who was one of the twelve, but he was the tax collector, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting to get his perspective. And then you've got John, who was in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Like when Jesus would have uh, hundreds, and then he would have his 12 disciples, and then he would have just a few that he would take, and John was there. He is referred to in the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loved. He mentions all the other names of the disciples, but the one whom Jesus loved is referring to, as most scholars believe, himself. What a way to characterize yourself. He doesn't say his own name, just the one whom Jesus loved. So I don't know about you, But when it comes to hearing people talk about Jesus, his best friend on earth probably has a really healthy perspective. And so um, we're going to get that perspective in 1 John. Plus, let's just be honest, at a curiosity standpoint, you think about who would Jesus want to hang out with? (laughs) And so the way we hear him write this letter and his straightforwardness, his simplicity, his clarity, his this is what it means to follow Jesus, this is what it means to not follow Jesus, like Jesus probably liked that kind of personality. Um, it's good. The date, again, is the uh, AD 90s. It might have been AD um, 85 to AD 100, somewhere in between there, but it was one of the last New Testament books uh, written. It was after, more than likely, the Gospel of John, because you see a lot of the same themes here um, as you do in the Gospel of John. You'll see a whole bunch of parallels 
between them. The literary genre, so we know all throughout the Bible, uh, the Bible is not all written the same. Some are uh, historical narratives, some are uh, wisdom teachings like Proverbs, some are poetry like Psalms. The Old Testament has a lot of different genres. The New Testament, not as much. Uh, the four Gospels and, and the book of Acts are historical narratives, but these um, letters we call epistles uh, are what makes up a good chunk of the New Testament, and this is what First, Second, and Third John are. They are uh, letters of warning and instruction to a specific group of people that were probably um, read by many different local churches, and so we call them circular letters. So someone drops it off and says, "This is for you," but it's just good theology. So make sure everyone in the area hears this uh, letter, and so they would read it in all of the different churches. You'll see in verse 1 of chapter 2, he calls them my little children. He, he, he references a specific group of people. The purpose of the letter is to refute false teaching. Now, if you're going to read the New Testament in depth and you're going to learn about the background, there's a few key things that will help you understand a whole bunch of books. The beauty of the New Testament is most of it was all written, um, actually not most of it, all of it, was written within a 70-year period. Whereas the Old Testament, it's all written over roughly an an 1,100-year period, from 1,500 to 400 B.C. So to have... Only 60, 70 years in the New Testament where all 27 of these books are written, you know what's happening in the Middle East in one of these letters is important because it has to do with the whole Middle East in that time frame. So I say that to say there was a group of people going around and they were putting doubt in the minds of the believers. And John knew that and he wrote this letter. They were part of a heresy, a false teaching called docetism. Now, this is the belief that Jesus appeared on earth, kind of like an angel. I don't know, maybe even like a, a weird hologram, who knows. But that he wasn't actually a human. And so the problem with that is, number one, it's wrong. Number two, they would say, well, if he didn't actually become a human, he didn't actually die on the cross, and his blood doesn't actually forgive sins. And it's part of an overall heresy that this is important for most New Testament books called Gnosticism. Have any of you ever heard about Gnosticism? Gnosticism is a belief um, where a lot of different false teachings come out of um, that essentially says everything in the flesh is bad and everything in the spiritual world is good. And the way that you attain salvation or righteousness with God is that you would uh, learn more. So those who knew a lot about spiritual things were good. Those who um, hated their bodies physically and hated the earth and just put their minds on spiritual things were good. It's not totally unlike what you see a lot of religions today. Just do away with the bad stuff here on earth and just think about spiritual stuff. The truth is, though, we know not all spiritual stuff is good. There's some bad spiritual stuff out there. And so uh, you will see over and over and over. And right now, this, you're, you're hearing some of this and you're like, I don't know how this matters that much. You're going to hear over and over and over, even in the four verses tonight, talk about Jesus coming in the flesh, in the flesh, in the flesh. And you're like, why are you talking about this over and over? Because he's talking to this group of people who did not believe. He's saying, I was there. I saw it. We were on a three-year camping trip together. He was a real human being. So, that's the purpose of the letter. The themes that you'll see in 1 John were number one, 
helping us to understand and recognize what false teaching is. He calls them uh, the Antichrist in many cases. Number two, he talks about love. If Andy was here, he'd say, we love like a midnight DJ and say, love. Okay, never mind. And so love in all forms and fashion, love from God, love for other believers, love from Jesus, love, 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 love. Chapters three and four hit on love a whole bunch. And number three, and this is probably the biggest one. If you read this whole book tonight, if we just preached through the whole thing, which boy, wouldn't that be fun? We would probably walk away. You would walk away with this third one as kind of the the thing that stands out. And that is that clear cut contrast. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to not follow Jesus. Here's what it looks like. And the contrasts will go each week. It seems like we'll have a different contrast. Um, you, You love uh, if you're a believer, you don't love your brother. If you're not a believer, um, you walk in the light um, or you walk in the darkness. You confess and recognize you're a sinner or you don't. You believe in Jesus as the son of God or you don't. It's just one contrast after another. And the outline of First John is pretty simple. Uh, five different parts to it. The prologue, which will cover the whole thing uh, tonight, the first four verses, that is uh, focusing on the word, um, Jesus becoming flesh. And then in verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 27, the first exposition of true salvation. Again, that contrast. Here's what it means to follow him. Here's what it means not to follow him. And then you see in chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 4, verse 6, the second exposition. Uh, just a different contrast of what it means to follow Jesus. And then verse 7 uh, from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 5, verse 12, the third exposition of true salvation. And then it ends, verses 13 through 21 of the last chapter, chapter 5, um, John assures his, his people of salvation, and this is an encouragement for all believers. Okay, well that's fun. We'll talk more about context each week as we go on and as it's needed. But tonight, we're going to cover four verses. We're going to go, again, verse by verse through it. I love this. If you guys were here for First um, Samuel, we covered a chapter a week, most weeks, and historical narrative. Uh, they're beautiful, but you cover a bunch of chunk, just a whole bunch of verses. Here, we're going to slow it down. We're going to get back to kind of that old school Bible study um, motif that, that I like, where we really pay attention to each word, and we can talk about the Greek and all that kinds of good stuff. So the theme tonight is that the message comes alive. This is twofold. Theologically, it's all about the incarnation. So we're celebrating Christmas stuff tonight, right? So it might not feel like it outside, but uh, we're getting all Christmassy on the inside. Jesus is the Word of God become flesh. So very simple. That's what the theological meaning is tonight. On a practical side, what we're hoping is that your faith becomes much more than something you simply know about or can regurgitate from your childhood, but something you tangibly experience that changes your life. This is my passion as a pastor, that the church, especially in the Midwest, where we find a lot of apathy and stagnancy, people who know the right answers, but their lives are not changing. They don't have that joy. They don't have that peace, that comfort. They don't find healing in Christ, that they would experience those things tangibly. So that's what my prayer is for you. Um, And we're going to dive in to verse 1. Verse 1 says, and for those of you who follow along, we um, read through the ESV. Most translations, though, will be pretty close to that. 
I hope. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. So he, he doesn't do salutations. He doesn't jump in and say, hey guys, how you doing? He jumps straight into that which was from the beginning. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that we're to experience the gospel, experience the good news of Jesus. So, he says, right off the bat, it's bookended. That which was from the beginning, and then the verse ends with concerning the word of life. Does this remind you of another passage in Scripture? Maybe the Gospel of John, verse 1. The first 18 verses talk about, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it talks about, down in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is Jesus becoming man. Now, it's not just John chapter 1, but go way back. Genesis chapter 1, right? Where it says that in the beginning, there's God. And you'll see um, John, he goes all the way back to not only the incarnation of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but the beginning of creation thousands of years ago. And why is this important? Because Jesus, again, is God in the flesh. He is not only just the Son of God, He is God. He is the very image of God. He is the Word of God, and He has always been. So Jesus wasn't um, non-existent at any point. He was always Jesus. Now, He was only in the flesh for 30 years, uh, roughly, um, 2,000 years ago, 33 uh, years, but we see that he has been eternal. Um, he is God. Now, you see that um, comparing Jesus' incarnation, his uh, birth into history 2,000 years ago, is just as important to John as the creation of the world. He's connecting the two. He's seen his, um, his best friend and this Old Testament, he's connecting the dots together, saying this is so much more than just someone entering into history. Jesus is the Messiah. He is this word become flesh. Now, this is also important because some people will say, let's let's hit some hot button topics. Homosexuality. Um... We could just rifle through a whole bunch of hot-button topics in our culture. And they'll say things like this, right? For those who defend those things, they'll say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about this. Because what they're reading are the red letters, right? Jesus' words in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if he's the Word, if he was in the beginning, and he's the Word become flesh, he is affirming all of Scripture, There's not a part of the Bible that Jesus is like, well, I'm a lot of it, but just not that. No, like he is the word become flesh. So to ever make the argument that because Jesus didn't say something while he was on earth means he doesn't affirm the rest of the Bible is to deny this, that he's the word become flesh. He's the whole nine yards. So every passage you see in the Old Testament that commands us against things that we don't want to be commanded against, we say, well, Jesus didn't say it. Jesus is the Word become flesh. He affirms all of Scripture. A couple other things that are important 
is right off the bat, you see two things. Number one, it, it becomes personal. So John is saying, we, 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 several times in this first verse, he says, we with our own eyes, with our own hands. So this is personal. He's saying, you don't believe that Jesus was in the flesh. I saw him. I hung out with him. This is real. And then he takes it one step further. And now the sensory uh, verbiage comes into play. He says, we heard it. Right? So it's not just me, it's other people. It's the church. I'm representing the church as I'm talking as an apostle, is what John's doing. We've heard, we've seen with our own eyes, we have looked upon, we have touched with our own hands. Of course, when you study scripture, you look for repetition. And when something is repeated, it's obviously important. So he's saying, not only is it true, but we have experienced it. Have you, listen. For those of you who have had kids, maybe you've experienced or or do have kids, you've experienced this. Um, For those of you who haven't had kids, maybe you've heard stories about little toddlers um, eating things they shouldn't eat. So like you teach them from an early age, you don't eat things that aren't food, but they don't always listen, right? And you hear stories of them eating things like marbles and all kinds of weird things and maybe hear that story about... um, Oh, yeah, I got a friend who at work there telling me about another friend who, um, you know, their two-year-old or their dog, can't quite remember which one, but they ate a marble, and then they had to go to the ER, and they did an x-ray and saw, like, a whole bunch of little marbles in there, and there's, like, 400 marbles. And like, wow, how did all these marbles get in there? And it was just this crazy story. When you hear about that, what do you think? You think, wow, that's weird. And deep down, you kind of think, stinks to be you. <laughs> that, that, at least it wasn't me. A couple days ago, Actually, maybe it was just, yeah, two days ago, I was at work and I was, I was in, I was in the zone. I was doing something. That's how in the zone I was. I don't even know what I was doing. And Tara called me and she normally didn't call me during the middle of the day, but she called me and she said, like, you know, when the conversation starts with just an exhale is not good at all. And she simply said, Silas ate a staple. And I was like, now, you guys, if you've been around, you hear my stories uh, probably too much, but you you know he's got a history, even as now he's almost three. As of next week, he'll be three if he makes it that long with a little guy. And and he eats things he shouldn't. He ate the logo off my shorts one time. He um, he eats all kinds of weird things, and we try to not get him to eat these things, but he does. So my first thought was, and the first thing I said to her, was it open or was it closed? Because in the parent world, like this is the difference between an ER visit and us just open it passes, right? And she said, I think it was closed. And and then we talked about it for a little bit. You see, there's a huge difference between hearing about someone's friend who had another friend whose dog or child, can't quite remember which one, ate some marbles and your own kid eating a staple. There's a huge difference. It's the difference between knowing about it and actually experiencing it. And so John's hearing people talk, but he's coming in the picture saying, listen, I hear you all coming to each church and and spreading some false junk, but I was there. I got a perspective that has a little more credibility than these guys who are coming out of the woodwork. There's a big difference between knowing and experiencing. So John is not only refuting this this false teaching, but he's setting, I think, a standard for believers as well, that this faith is, this is much more than just knowing. It's about experiencing. 
I can tell you, even from um, Tara and I teaching Silas um, how to do basic things around the house, when he loses interest, he walks away. And we know it's always because we didn't get him involved in whatever we were teaching. So if I say, buddy, we got a project, let's come do this. And we get together and then I start doing it. And as a, as a man and as a dad, oftentimes I'll, I'll like to have him there, but I, I want to do it myself. If he can't get his grubby little fingers in and get dirty with me, he eventually starts playing with his toys. And then before I know it, he's not even in the room. He's gone. Like if he's not experiencing what I'm talking about, he loses interest. And he's gone. I think that's how a lot of us are with the faith. Sometimes it's like, well, for six months I was going to church. Things were good. It felt like it was making a difference. I was here in the Bible taught and I applied a few things to my life. But then yeah, something bad happened in life and then I didn't go for three months. And then I was like, ah, should I even go back? It's going to be weird to see those people. I haven't been there for three months. What are they going to think when I come back? And you start playing those games. And, and when you're not experiencing what we're talking about, you lose interest, right? You lose interest. Can you honestly say tonight that when we talk about this good news of Jesus, that he wants to heal you, that you have access to God's presence, that you're actually tasting and seeing and hearing? Are you actually experiencing, not just knowing about, are you actually experiencing this good news? Like this week, are you having encounters with God? Not just, well, I prayed before I went into work and I, I, I talked to him a little bit before bed. Are you having encounters today? Because it's the difference between you coming in here with joy tonight and getting a full cup overflowing and you coming in on empty, feeling like you need a little nugget of truth just to get you through the week. I'll say this before we move on. I think there's three primary areas as a pastor I see people struggle with. They leave this on the table. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the implications of it. They leave these three things on the table over and over and over. And this is the difference between you being on fire for the Lord and you struggling to even want to come to a Sunday morning service. That is number one, the presence of God. The very heartbeat of the gospel is that you have access to the throne of God. That's what Jesus' blood does. It covers your sin so you can be in a relationship with the God of the universe. You can access him at any point, at any time. Doesn't matter if you're in this building, if you're a million miles away, you have access through Jesus. And there's something that, there's just power when you intentionally take time and you recognize, okay, spiritually, I know at any point, I have access. Like God is in me, I can talk to God. But when you take time, when you seek him, when you just sit at his feet, Things change. Life is transformed. Number two, healing. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago on a cross doesn't just get you to heaven, but I believe it is the power to heal you physically, to heal you emotionally, to heal you in the ways that we need to be healed. And so I think a lot of us, though, we don't want to get real with God. Let's just be honest, right? Because when we talk about healing, there's some of us who are like, I need healing. And then there's a whole other group, usually all in the same room, that'd be like, nah, I don't really need healing. I mean, I got saved and I feel like God's, you know, doing some stuff in me, but I don't like need healing. We're all jacked up. We're all 
if we, if we got to, I don't want to play Mr. Psychologist, but we all got some daddy issues. <laughs> we all got some, some drama issues. We all have things in our lives that need healing. And if you don't right now, you will soon because broken people do broken things. We have broken experiences. And I think a lot of us have a hard time being vulnerable with the Lord and coming to him and saying, I need, I need healing. We say, well, I prayed about it a couple times 10 years ago. He didn't heal me, so my testimony is what it's been like walking with the Lord when he won't heal you. And I'm just going to have that rally called everyone who's never going to get healed. It's like, maybe you need to go back to the throne. Maybe, maybe you're putting a period where the Lord put a comma. And last but not least, the power of God. We're going to talk about this at the end tonight. There's nothing, there's nothing. It's one thing to experience coming to the Lord and experiencing healing. And it's a whole other thing to experience walking with the Lord in power on a daily basis as an overcomer. His presence, his power, his healing are three ways that we can come every single day and experience the power of God. Verse 2, John says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Second thing we see is it's more than a message, it's life. It's more than a message, it's life. So John gets specific. This is very repetitive. All four of these verses are very repetitive, but there's one thing um, that we see a little bit different in the second verse than the first. You see him talk about life and manifest. Now, it's important that life here in the Greek, this is more of a noun. This is, um, this is an entity. This is God. So this is Jesus, and this life, eternal life, is to, um, to be living. So it's something that we experience here. And the word manifest essentially just means appeared or made real. And so God's saying, John is saying that this message is real. It's appeared to us. It's more than a story. It's real life. It's real life. To sum up the verse, John's saying, this is real. Jesus is real. You can have a real life encounter experience with him, and the Father wants it. He was with the Father, but he didn't stay with the Father. Why? Because the Father sent him to us. And God wants you to experience it. You see, this is the core of Christianity. We know, many of us know in here, if you don't, I'll say it again, that the faith is not about rules and regulations. It's not even about not going to hell. Like if that, if that by itself was the rally call of Christianity, hey, who, who wants to make sure they don't go to hell? Doesn't that still feel like something? Is that it? Like, of course I don't want to go to hell, so I'm still going to jump in. <laughs> but... Like, is it just not going to hell? Is that as good as it gets? No. What do we see in the Gospel of John? That he came to give us life to in abundance. Abundance? Are you experiencing abundant life? So not just like life, that's kind of okay, but abundant life. 
Hopefully you're realizing by this point tonight uh, that there is more on the table for you to experience. I don't, I don't care where you are in the faith. Maybe you consider yourself a mature believer. Maybe you're just listening and you don't even know if you believe this stuff. There is always more on the table to experience in Jesus. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. Let me ask you this. Eternal life. How long is eternal? Forever. You guys are catching it. You're smart. This is good. Let me ask you this. When does eternal life start? If humans were not eternal from the beginning, meaning that like we're not God, right? So we didn't exist before existence. You know, like only God is God. He was, he was there before anything else was there. So when then for us does eternal life start? Eternal life starts at salvation. Because you are either spiritually dead, which the Bible says we all are. That's how we start on this earth, spiritually dead. Or you are spiritually alive. John chapter 3, you're born again. This is how evangelicals get the reputation of being born again Christians. We recognize you're either spiritually dead or you're born again. So it's not like we're going from uh, this born again experience on earth and, and where we got the Holy Spirit in us and then we die and then we get like a better Holy Spirit that makes us eternally alive. Like that's not what happens. Your body will change. Your spirit will change. One day we'll be glorified and we will have a resurrected body. Things will be different. But when you place your faith in Jesus... And he seals you with his Holy Spirit. You can't be any more alive than that. So when people say, I just want to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. When you get saved, to some degree, you are experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth. You have access to the throne of God. Just like you're going to see him face to face one day. But because of his Holy Spirit... You are made eternally alive. So that paired with Jesus saying he wants to give us life and life in abundance. Are you experiencing that kind of life? That little bit of heaven on earth right now? It also means your faith can't be an add-on to the rest of the things you got going on in life. Because if you're either spiritually dead or spiritually alive, you can't just, just shake a little Jesus on a spiritually dead life and hope things are going to be okay. No, you're either all in or you're all out. Doesn't mean you don't have flaws. Doesn't mean you don't mess up. But you can't be in the middle of spiritually dead or spiritually alive. So when people ask, well, this eternal life, what is it? Is it um, a path? Yeah, it's a path. Is it just a truth, like doctrine, theology? Like, oh, I have eternal life because I know the right things. Yeah, it's that too. Is it a person? Yeah, it's that. John fourteen six. See, lots of references to the Gospel of John because these are so paired together. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That this eternal life, this Jesus, is something we know about. It's, it's something that we walk in, and it is a person. It is Jesus. So with that being said, to experience real life on earth. 
you want that abundant life, you got to abide in Jesus. You, you got to live in Jesus. This is John chapter 15. He tells us what it looks like to abide in him. You see, this life is on earth, even though you live in a broken world. If you want to experience the, the fullness of eternal life on earth, because you can be sealed with the Spirit and, and live a pretty miserable life and, and then uh, go to heaven and realize, man, you could have had more on earth. Or, or you can really walk in the Spirit when you're on earth and experience a whole lot more. And if you're going to do that, you're going to realize eternal life on earth is a whole greater, it's a whole nother reality of peace and joy and comfort that only comes when you abide in Jesus. So I'll ask you again, right now, like even just tonight, is your faith more a message about not going to hell? Or is it a life-changing reality that you're walking in daily? Let me show you something. Because I, I, <clears throat> I know, in general, when I start to lose you guys a little bit, because I start to I talk for a while, and then, and then you kind of drift in, and then you come back in about 10 minutes, and then you'll drift out, and, and God says, okay, zip it. Let me say this. I believe, I know, whenever I'm around any group of believers, that there is more left on the table. And sometimes we don't recognize that we're not experiencing real life. And I want, I want a case in point here. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this picture here. This is, uh, this is your wonderful campus pastor. Now, this is uh, five years ago when we lived in Virginia and I got my license. They told me to smile for the camera. And I did what they told me. And this is how it turned out. And for five years, I had to look at this and say, this is my face? There ain't no way. I, they caught me when I wasn't smiling. Nah, that's just weird. And I told myself over and over, every time I looked at that license, I thought, gosh, I got to get a better picture next time I get my license. Like, I am going to get a better picture. So a few weeks ago, I hadn't registered to vote. And it was the day where you had to decide, you had to get your registration in or you couldn't vote. And so I was like, okay, I got to go get my driver's license done and all that good stuff. And so I went. And, and they told me to smile. And so I smiled. And they took the picture. And, and then they messed something up on the computer. So they said, we got to do it again. They said, okay, smile. So I said, okay, my second chance. The Lord is giving me another opportunity. I'm smiling. Take the picture. They messed something else up on the computer. I said, okay, the Lord does things in threes. He's given me a third opportunity to smile. I'm going to smile so much, my teeth are going to pop out of my face and hit the camera. I'm going to smile. They took the picture showed me the picture. I kid you not. This is me smiling to my fullest. This is, this, this is real life. I thought, I looked at that and I was shocked. I said to myself, this is my face. This is my face. I thought there was a lot better version of my face. This is my face. So much in my life became clear in this moment from interactions I've had with people where they're like, maybe he's not the friendliest guy. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not friendly? Like, I don't, he comes across as a little bit, you know, just not super compassionate. What do you mean I'm not compassionate? This explains so much about my life. 
Listen, when I dig into scripture and I'm feeling pretty good about myself and I see what these people in the Bible experienced with the Lord and the power and the presence, I'm blown away and I always come away thinking to myself, there's more to experience. There's more, like they had something more that I don't have. They, and we got the same Holy Spirit, but they experienced more with the Lord. Like they're singing in jail cells. They're being miraculously healed. They're doing things that, like, if that happened on a Sunday morning, I'd stop the service and say, eh, let's just pretend that didn't happen. That scared me. I don't know what to do with it. Like, like they did awesome things. i got to believe there's so much left on the table for you and I to experience. Verse 3. We've got to move pretty quick through these last two. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Third thing we see, the message demands a response. The message demands a response. Now, first off, it demands a response because Jesus says, I am the only way, right? So you got to gotta do something when you hear that Jesus is the way. There's no other way. He says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so you got to do something with that. You can't just ignore Christianity. When you hear that message, you got to decide, am I going to follow? Am I going to not? But you got to do something. You see in a pattern in these verses? Seen, heard. Three times in three verses we see seen. Three times in three verses we see heard. He's making this known. This was something real. You see proclaim, father. These things are repeated over and over. Fellowship, the Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia. It's mentioned about 15 times in the New Testament before those times are in the next few verses. John is saying, this is what fellowship, fellowship being oneness, that I want you as an outsider, someone who doesn't even know the Lord. And and for you, Christians who do know the Lord, for me, I I want us to be one. I want us to be together. The word koinonia is this idea that this is what the church is, that we are one, that we are unified together. The church is unified. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And John's saying, I want you, I want, I want non-believers to be one with me. I want the church to be one with me. I want us to all be one. You see, there's an assumption here. At least I'm going to make this assumption. Over and over, we're seeing, seeing and heard and these sensory things, these experiential aspects of his relationship with the Lord. He's drawing this connection. When you experience, for three verses we've just seen, experience, experience, experience. When you experience the Lord, when you know him, when you walk with him, you proclaim him. You talk about him. You can't help but to be a herald with the message. That's why evangelism is so ironic. We tell our people all the time, share your faith, share your faith, share your faith. But people who have experienced the Lord don't need to be told to share your faith, right? Might be good to have a reminder, but in general... They don't need to be told. You see, there's, there's always going to be a response when you encounter the Lord. And, and there's appropriate responses and inappropriate responses. The other day, Silas, he, um, 
He was at the dinner table with me. Tara had left for a little bit, and I just wanted to have some table talk. Just talk to my boy over dinner, and I said, hey, buddy, let's eat our food. And he said, "Um, I don't. And I said, okay, I'll let that one slide. Hey, let's talk about something else. I said, hey, my day off is just in like a day or two. You want to go hiking? You want to do something fun? And he said, we don't go hiking. I said, buddy, this is going to get rough. I'm going to give you one more shot at this, okay? And um, Because he's just defiant on everything, right? Like he has to argue with him or with you on everything. And I said, hey, there's going to be a construction crew. Now, he loves construction. There's going to be a little bobcat, a dump truck. So they're going to be out front of our house a couple days. Are you excited? I'm not. (laughs) And I said, son, I love you. I looked him in his little eyes and I said, why do you have to disagree with me on everything I say? And he looks at me and he says, I don't. (laughs) I I can't do this anymore. I love you, but I can't do this anymore. Sometimes the theme being, I can't, I don't, I can't, I don't. He says these all the time. He's just defiant. I think that's what a lot of us are with the Lord. We say, well, I know I should seek you, but I don't. And I know I should make disciples, and I know I should share my faith, but I can't. And we just make excuses over and over and over and over. And the Father's like, I love you, but I don't know what to do for you. I say, experience me. You can have healing, you can have, but you make excuses as to why you don't come to me. And then I say, okay, well, be on mission with me, and I'll take you by the hand. I know you're not perfect. I know you don't know every detail about the Bible, but I want you, even right now in your broken, I want you to share your faith. And you say, well, I don't know how, and I can't, and I won't, and I don't. And the Lord's like, what, what do you want me to do? You won't come to me. You won't go away from me. <laughs> you just... You're just there. I love you. But let's do something. You see, there's always a connection between experience and proclamation. Guys, you know this is why I don't have any trouble at all talking about Chick-fil-A, right? You know I don't have. Because... (laughs) Because I love it. I love Chick-fil-A sauce. I love Polynesian sauce. I love, um, I love a number one. I love waffle fries. I love it. But, but you don't hear me talk much about, like, Taco Bell. Like, we all know about Taco Bell, but, like, you know, Taco Bell's Taco Bell. Sometimes it's good. Most of the time, y- y- you need to make sure that you're saved before you eat it because you might see Jesus soon. People proclaim what they have experiences in, either really bad. I went to the church. They condemned me. They didn't like what I was wearing. I could tell they were judging me the way they looked at me. I'm never going back to that church again. They'll tell you about that, won't they? Or, man, the Lord is good. I'm experiencing him. He is healing me. Things are changing. Life is changing. And you don't have to tell those people to keep talking about it. They're just going to talk about it. The problem is, I love y'all. The problem is most of us are somewhere with the Lord in between a horrible experience and a great experience. And that's why we're stagnant. We know he's not bad. That's why we keep coming back. But we know we still are leaving a whole bunch on the table. And that's why we're not willing to jump out and tell anyone about Jesus. Because what are we going to say? Hey, he's amazing. You can experience a whole bunch. I haven't, but I heard 
It's pretty good. Let me go get you another missionary who can tell you about how good Jesus is. Guys, the longer you put off truly experiencing healing, the presence of the Lord, the power of the Lord, it's not a matter of you simply missing out on these things. It's a matter of everyone else missing out. Because if you don't experience the good stuff, you won't proclaim it and make disciples. And if you don't make disciples, people die without Jesus. I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that as a reality check. Sanctification for the church is not optional. It's a blessing. And it's part of the life with Jesus. Last but not least, John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Fourth thing. Last thing for tonight, we find joy in making disciples. We find joy in making disciples. So, key words. We are writing. This is the purpose. Now, there's actually several purposes for these letters, as we'll get into um, later on in the series. But this is the first one he says. We are writing this so that what? Our obligation may be complete. Uh, Our... um, Guilt may be soothed for a little bit because church people just want us to go do stuff for them. Our, no, our joy may be complete. Our joy, joy being great happiness. Our our joy be complete. So if it says complete, that means something. That means something powerful. It, It means the fulfillment of something, the totality of something. What John's saying is, in order for my joy to be complete, I've got to share this message. So God has built it into the lives of believers that you will not find full fulfillment unless you're sharing your faith. That there's just something that happens when you care about other people's salvation and you want other people to be saved and you share your faith. John doesn't have to write this letter, but he knows if you experience the good stuff, you're going to want to talk about the good stuff. And notice how he, he doesn't say, he could say a lot of things. Notice how he doesn't say his joy is complete in 12-minute long, amazing praise songs. I love them. They're great, wonderful. Hope you're rocking out in your car to them. They're good, but that's not what makes his joy complete. It's not in, in an amazing sermon that the preacher preached, and you listen to on your podcast, and it's great and wonderful. Like, I hope you hear great sermons, especially after this one. But that's not what makes your joy complete. Perfect church attendance. That's not what makes your joy complete. Making disciples, sharing your faith is what makes this joy complete. I am. Um, I've never thought that I was super great at sharing my faith, but last week I ran into a, an older man. Uh, he was old ten years ago uh, when I was around him. Now he's he's creeping up in uh, age. And his name's Jerry Carnes, and he's a poor farmer. And he's been a poor farmer his whole life. 
and from the outside, and I say these things knowing he would say them to you if he was here. On the outside, you would not think he has um, a, a ton of potential to be a great evangelist. But for years, every Tuesday night, he's been going to the juvenile detention center in Hutchinson, sharing the gospel with these kids who are broken. And when I first got saved, about six months in to my salvation 10 years ago, I remember I heard about this, and me, being an ex-convict myself, thought to myself, I would like to go back to kids who are like me and give them this hope, because that's what you do when you experience the good stuff you want to share. But I didn't know how, and I didn't know what, so I sat with him. And he would bring cookies, his wife would make cookies for the kids, and they'd sit around and they'd ask us questions like, why does God kill babies in the Old Testament? And I'd be like, ask him. You know, like we, I didn't know what to say, I had no training, I didn't know what to do, but these kids could just ask us questions. And every week he would share the gospel. And I was scared to death one day because I knew he would ask me eventually. But he would say the same thing over and over and over. This is my evangelistic training, okay? He would say this. He'd look at him and say, listen, boys and girls. He had this little thick accent. He'd say, listen, boys and girls. Accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior is as easy as falling off a log backwards. And he said that every single week, over and over and over. Accepting Jesus is as easy as falling off a log backwards. And, he, and I was like, that's all you got? <laughs> there was something better than that, right? But he, he would just share the gospel plainly. And I remember one night, finally, this young man of 15 years old, he was asking questions. And the guard said, okay, time out. You know, it's, it's over. You guys got to get back to um, whatever they were doing. And um, he, he raised his hand and said, I, I want to accept Jesus. And Jerry said, young man. It's your turn. And so we went and we talked and I was so, I was sweating. I was like, I don't know what to say. And he sits down with me. I'd never done this before. And he, and he says, um, I want to accept Jesus. And so I told him a little bit more about the gospel. What I learned, I'm like, okay, so far so good. And then he says, um, but, um, I'm gay and I like, I like boys and I'm struggling. How does God feel about that? Now, I've just been a believer for a year. I didn't grow up in the church. I'm like, I don't know what to do. But I just told him about the healing power of God. And I told him about the joy of the Lord. And I just kept telling him about the, the young man, as far as I know, gave his life to the Lord that night. But when I left there, I'm telling you what, I have never felt up until that point in life. I had never felt the fulfillment knowing I got issues in life. I got debt. I got bills to pay. I got mistakes that have been made and I got some mistakes that will be made. I got issues, but I know that I know that I know that in this moment, I am doing what I was put on earth to do. That young man came in tonight struggling with life. And it wasn't me, it's the Lord and his Holy Spirit. But that message gave him hope. And he didn't leave the same way that he came in. And I knew from that moment, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. I didn't, I didn't know all about making disciples. But I knew in that moment, I can't go on without doing a lot more of this. And I didn't have it all together then and I ain't got it all together now. But what you're learning about the Lord, what you're experiencing tonight with the Lord, you can tell someone about. There's joy in that. Let me challenge you with two challenges as we leave tonight. Number one, what are you going to do this week? What are you going to do tonight? What are you going to do tomorrow morning to press into the Lord? to experience his presence, his power, his healing. 
For some of you, you know, you got deep-rooted issues and you just need to come before the throne and you need to say, you know what, God, I don't want to talk about this because even the words coming out of my mouth make me feel embarrassed and they make me feel angry and I don't even know what to say to you, but I'm just going to let it out and I believe you can heal me and I know something's got to happen. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's simply going from a five-minute devotional each morning to, you know what, scrap the devotional. I'm just going to stay here, and I'm going to just sit before the Lord for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. And I'm just going to praise him, and I'm going to praise him, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to remind myself of his presence until I experience power in a way that I don't normally experience. What are you going to do to press in this week and go deeper? And number two, what are you going to do to go further? In mission, who are you going to pour into? As the Lord is there for you to pour out your heart to, and he fills you, who are you going to pour back out to? Maybe for some of us, you've been pouring into someone and you gave up on them because things just didn't go quite like you thought. Maybe you need to revisit those relationships. Maybe you got a coworker, maybe you got family, maybe you've heard their drama over and over and over and over, and the second you leave here tonight, you're going to go out and you're going to talk to someone on the phone, or you're going to hear it when you get home about more drama with the same old stuff, but it's just more drama, and you think to yourself, I don't know what to do with it. But tonight, you finally say, you know what, we're just going to talk about the Lord. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to say, but I'm just going to talk about God, because I can't handle the drama. Like, I got, I got one thing that can help you, and it ain't me listening, and it ain't my advice. It's just the Lord. So we're just going to talk. We're going to trust God gives me some words. I don't know how. He's going to do it, though. What are you going to do to press in deeper? What are you going to do to go further in mission? Let's pray.